This is the Other What Podcast. The Other What. The Other What. The Other What. The Other What. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another Other What Podcast. We're super excited to dive into um, family dynamics and growing up queer in the South and how our families viewed it through religion and um, just where they came from. Um, so Desiree, why don't you start us off with, um, you know, growing up in Savannah with your fam? Yeah, thanks, Sharon. So as uh, you all have heard from the first podcast, grew up, uh, was born in D.C., but raised in Savannah, Georgia, um, came from a family that's been there for generations on uh, both sides of my family. Uh, Savannah was an interesting place growing up. There were not a lot of gay people that I knew. And I think I actually attended Savannah's very first gay pride, no way. which was in like late 90s, early 2000s. And it was maybe 60 That's amazing. People. Did you did you ever go to the oyster roast that they had? They had a lesbian oyster roast in Savannah. No, oh. I was I probably was living in Atlanta and just like not going back to Savannah because I really wanted to be around gay people. Wow. And Atlanta just had every gay person you could imagine you could find here. Um, but I also had, I'm the oldest out of six. I have three brother, uh, three sisters and two brothers. Um, but when I was a kid, I've told my parents I did not want siblings. And I'm almost three years older than my sister right under me. So I thought that was pretty funny that someone that young could vocalize that they wanted to be an only child. Maybe in maybe in a past life, I had a lot of siblings and I was like, not in this one. But obviously they didn't listen to me. And um, I did not get along with most of my siblings until I moved out of the house. And then I thought, well, they're not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sharon? Oh, so, I mean, only child just because I'm an only child. So, yeah. I, Living I actually, my dream. Yeah, I know. But it's really not a dream, to be honest. I, I actually <laughs> dream about having siblings like you. So I think it's always greener on the other side. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, you know, obviously my immigrant parents, they were only able to have one child. It took them like eight years to have me. So um, I just had a lot of there was a lot of just, you know, it's, it's a lot of pressure. And I, even, even now, right. My parents are in their eighties and I'm the mm-hmm. only one. And Desiree, I don't know about you, but you, you probably had a large extended family, like cousins and yes. aunties and uncles. Yes. I have nobody in the United States and I wow. had nobody in the United States. And we didn't even go back to Singapore um, until I was 12. So I also wow. I did not grow up with anybody over like even my aunts and uncles in Singapore. I have like, 30, 35 cousins. I have a huge family in Singapore. They're all strangers to me. And it was mm. always weird going like when I went back for the first time, they would open up these albums of me growing up from age like zero to 12 and complete strangers. Like I don't know who my wow. uncle was, but he has every picture of me. It's like, it's, it's so your parents thing. were just sending them pictures. Mm-hmm. They would send them pictures. Okay. Yeah. You know, airmail. Before the internet, right? They would go airmail and like they would just send them like actual pictures. And it it is, it was just really, it was a really weird, it was really weird being the, the American cousin. And I would, Mm -hmm. I would go to Singapore and um, they would make fun of my American accent and, and everything like that. But I was also like 
the first, um, I was the first grandchild on my dad's side. So I was also very okay. revered that way. Like my Chinese mm-hmm. name actually means blessing on the go households. That's kind of what it means. Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah. Because, you know, I was the first guy, you know, grandchild. What's your Chinese name, Sharon? So my Chinese name is Wu Jialing. And so my last name in, in English is Go, but my Chinese name, if, if I was if I was actually Chinese Chinese, it would be Wu, W-U. But because we mm-hmm. speak a dialect in southern China and then we and then we immigrated to Singapore, my last name went from Wu to Go. And that's kind of how it happened. Okay. Yeah. And Go is like Smith in Singapore. So you're uh, gonna if you meet other Go's, you're gonna be like, Oh, you're related to Sharon. No, 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 no. Everybody <laughs> has the last name Go. Like like everybody does. It's crazy. Yeah. So anyways. And I notice I notice you capitalize the G and the O and the H is low. No, case? that's just because I typoed it. Is that that's intentional? I typ- I typ- oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it does look good, okay. right? Go, right. Oh, yeah. So it's funny. Okay. It is funny, though, because people ask me all the time, how do you pronounce it? And I'm like, just go. Doesn't no, there's no fanciness to it. The, the H is silent, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I think it, it like it's it's interesting from like th- like a family dynamic because um you know, my parents, you know, as immigrants, there was also this weird thing in Asian culture, and it still is very prevalent on what they call the success perm. And mm. and, and the reason, and we're going to put a, a link in the show notes to this, because I think Fresh Off the Boat did a great, great take on this on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling Desiree, I think Eddie Huang and I have had like, like parallel lives. It was like crazy. <laughs> but like, like Asians think that if you have curly hair, which Desiree, you have very curly hair. I do. You have. Yes. You are, I'm nailing, you are the success, nailing the baby. success. Yes. And so what would happen was when I was in middle school, my mom would give me home perms all the time and she permed her hair. Her hair is super straight. She permed her hair the whole time she lived in the, in, in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. And so I got these and we'll post pictures on Instagram of these like horrible home perms that I have too. But it, it did. It, it like signifies success. And what I think is really funny is that I was watching a, a, a K-drama recently. It's a new one out of Korea mm-hmm. um, called The Uncanny Counters. And we'll put a, a link to that too. And when this guy gets like his superpowers, guess what? His hair gets curly. <laughs> I swear to God. And then when like the That's evil guy crazy. takes away his powers, his hair yeah. goes limp and flat and straight. Isn't that oh crazy? My gosh. It's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Growing up for me, I hated having curly hair See? because it was so different and kids would make fun of me. They would call me Pocahontas, even though Pocahontas had straight hair, but I had very long curly hair and would, you know, beg my mom like to, we would use a hot comb because she, my mom had much thicker hair than me. So like the old, put it on the stove, hot comb to straighten your hair. Wow. That's crazy. Definitely didn't need that much heat on my hair, but I never liked my curls. It wasn't until I was probably in college that I was like, you know what? This is pretty nice to have this kind of curly hair. It's so, isn't it funny? Like growing up, like, like we always wanted what each other didn't have. Yes. And, um, you know, like even like with my parents, um, my parents would pinch my nose when I was little because my nose was too flat. Mm. And it wasn't, mm. it wasn't, um, Caucasian enough, right? Caucasians mm-hmm. have a very, like, they have a very thinner nose, you know, whatever points your nose. And, and what I found was that like, I have friends who their parents would actually put a clothespin on their nose 
Wow. When they were little. Yeah. Thinking that that would help. Like, you know, cause, cause the cartilage is still very like soft and you can make the nose yeah. sharper. Like that's kind of how I grew up. It, it was, that's crazy. it was insane. It was a little weird. That's insane, but not insane because when I was a kid, just, you know, unconsciously, I always like never, I never had a, a flatter nose, but I would always kind of do like this, like pinch it no, or push it you up. You would do it to just, yourself? No way. Just not, just, I think it was just a, a twitch or something I had, but my dad used to always say, you're going to make it too pointy and it's not going to look good. But then I actually started working for one of my first jobs when I moved back to DC in 2004, I worked at a cosmetic medical spa and we had a facial plastic surgeon. And he said, Desiree, you have the nose that people pay me to make. So I tell my dad, look, I, I guess I did it right. Damn, Desiree, that is a high compliment. So, so for me, so for me, like I, you know, when I, I lived in Korea for a little over a year, plastic surgery capital of the world. And they would do two things. They would make your nose pointier and look more Caucasian Mm -hmm. or they would do double eyelid surgery, Yeah, which is insane. How do we make ourselves look more white? Yeah. Did you ever watch uh, Bling Empire? No, I never. I never watched it. I can't. Oh I can't do gosh. reality TV shows. They kind of trigger too much for me. <laughs> it sucks me. And I think you and I talked about this one of our first times hanging out on the show. And there's because there's an episode about um, one of the guys who was Korean who had the double eyelid surgery, trying to talk one of his friends out of doing it because he feels like it took away from his Asianness now that he's older and how he regrets that. Yeah, I, I, that was just so fascinating. It's crazy, to me. but it, it is. It's just like it's this like need to be whiter. It's just strange, like mm-hmm. all the whitening creams and I don't know. It it was it was a little insane, but. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move on. I think that the the next thing and like we mentioned this in one of our first podcasts was about religion. And I think it's super interesting is that you converted your family converted from Christianity to Judaism. I would love yes. to dive into that because what's interesting for yeah. me is that my family converted from Buddhism to Christianity. So I'm like catching up with you. Um, All right. We'll talk about that after the break. Great. So Sharon, so from Buddhism to Catholicism, walk me through that. (laughs) I know. Isn't that crazy? So I think that I like, I don't really know all the history of my family, um, but I just think that the Christian missionaries, the the Catholic missionaries just did a really, really bang up job in Asia. And Mm -hmm. um, my family, my dad's family was Catholic even in China when they immigrated down to Singapore, but my mom's family was Buddhist all the way through Singapore. Even my grandmother was on her deathbed and they converted her to Christianity. Yeah, wow. it was insane. It's like you're going to go to hell unless you get baptized in the Christian church right. um, because you're a heathenist Buddhist kind of thing. And then she's like, oh, and then she was on her deathbed and then she literally died like a day later. It was insane. And then wow. my grandfather who died – 
a really long time ago, like when my mom was in her teens, um, he, he, they, they, they cremate everybody in Singapore because there's no space to, to bury anybody. Okay. Right. And so you actually okay. live in high rises. Like you, you live in a high rise when you're alive. And then when you're dead, you also live in a high rise. And yeah. And so you go, so what happens is like the first floor is the Christian floor. The second floor is the, is the Jewish floor. The third floor is the Buddhist floor. It's like super crazy, kind of cool. There's an Dang. Indian floor for like, you know, Hindu and stuff like that. Wow. So anyway, so my, my grandfather at the time, when I first visited, when I was 12, um, they had him in a Buddhist temple and it was the coolest thing. And I'd never been to a Buddhist temple before my mom took me. And there was these like huge tortoises in this huge pool and you buy like cabbage from an old lady. I know it was crazy. And you'd throw <laughs> the cabbage to the tortoises and if they ate it, it was good luck, you know, and I had like the incense sticks and then you had to, you know, pray at the altar and they would actually bring the urn out. Like you had to schedule the, the urn to see your, your, my grandfather's urn. So that was the first okay. time I ever been to a Buddhist temple. And that was like super cool. And then the next time I went back, they had moved him into one of those high rises onto a Christian floor. Mm. And it was weird. I was like, what? I thought we were going to go to the temple. Now yeah. we're actually like, again, at this like weird high rise and there's, it's, it's the, it's the Christian floor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what happened. And so now my whole entire family is Christian um, either Baptist or Catholic and the Catholics mm-hmm. there are what I call charismatic Catholics. So have you ever, okay. have you ever like, um, encountered Pentecostals where they like speak in tongues or they yes. handle snakes or they fall back, like, like the, the guy put, like lays hands and falls back. It is literally. I went to church one time with my dad to a Pentecostal church, and it scared the shit right. out of me. Totally. I was like, so, "Do not bring me back so here." Dedre, imagine that, but with a Catholic priest. That's what oh. it was. And so when I came out, when I, I I came out to my parents, and we'll talk about the whole coming out story later. Um, I went to I went to Singapore um, for um, for a trip um, after college, mm-hmm. and my my parents left, and they left me there, and they were like. Sharon needs to go to mass. And so they, they made me yeah. go to this, like, they called it a healing mass. And it was three hours of singing Christian, like Catholic songs. Oh the my priest God. laid hands so and much. people like fell back. Right. My aunt spoke in tongues. I was like, where the, where the F am I right now? This is crazy. And I was with my cousin at the time. And after the three hours, we were so spent. She's like, do you need to get a drink? And I was like, yes, let's go get a drink. And then we went straight to Sultan Muhammad, which is where like all of the bars were in Singapore. But it was insane. It was like, it it really showed me just like how religion was so ingrained in my family. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, and how also like, I kind of loved that it was, I was also removed from it. I didn't grow up with this family. I didn't have to go to church the way they wanted me to go to church. I, it was like I was yeah. a I was a tourist, and it was nice. It was actually really <laughs> mm-hmm. good. You can get away. I could from, get away yeah. from it. Yeah, yeah. Well, my family um, never super religious. Um, we did like all the up until I was probably about 12, 11 or twelve. You know, we did. Christmas, after the day after Thanksgiving, we would drive two hours. I can't remember if we were going like up to like Dublin or Macon or some other part of Georgia, because when you're kids, you don't know what directions you're going. But we would go to like this Christmas tree farm to get uh, chopped down a Christmas tree, put it on top of our van. My dad would tie it down really good, drive two hours back. Um, but then uh, my mom had this 
idea and feeling that Christianity was not for her. We would go to, I was baptized Episcopalian. Um, I would go to church occasionally with my grandparents, on my dad's parents. My mom's side wasn't super religious. They were kind of Catholic, but not really. Um, More kind of like around the high holidays type, like a lot of Christians in the U.S. Um, But I just never felt comfortable in church. Uh, I, I always felt like and maybe it was a, a black church and that that's a different thing in itself. Mm. Um, you know, there's always talks of, you know, going against homophobia and all this other stuff. And I just thought, well, this is, I don't want to hear this. And I just hated going. The only thing I enjoyed about church is we had a few really close friends that went to the same one and we would just kind of hang out in the back as much as possible or go to, and we'd have summer camp, which was kind of fun. But when it was like super religious, I just did not mm-hmm. like it. Um, and I felt like we were there for way too long, even though it was probably only like an hour, <laughs> hour and a half. But that was just too, too long for me, which is ironic, Sharon, because when we converted to Judaism or when my mom started going to synagogue, you'd be in there all day, like from probably 10 in the morning till two or so in the afternoon, but it never felt like super long so, to me. And I think the, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you, what's the difference? Because yeah. the, the difference was for me, when you're in church, you're supposed to sit still and be quiet. But when you're in synagogue, and I don't know if you've ever been to a synagogue, people are having sidebar conversations. They're getting up, they're walking around. Kids are running around in the lobby area. And that just, that's kind of acceptable. And I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. And there were never, I don't ever remember hearing any rabbi talk about homosexuality and perhaps it was just the synagogue I was going to. We went to a conservative synagogue, which is kind of funny that it's labeled conservative. It's kind of in the middle. You have like your uh, reform, you know, have messianic Jews who are your Jews for Jesus. You have the reform who are like, you know, we probably still eat shrimp. Um, he has conservatives, conservatives, which are like kind of in the middle, not overly religious, but not, but, you know, still do things and you have your Orthodox and your Hasidic, like more. Um, and I just, I don't know. I just thought it was, it felt more inviting to me. It felt more comfortable. I felt like I had more of a community and, um, even as an adult, I, I kind of, miss that feeling of like going to synagogue on Saturdays. I I really enjoyed it and made a lot of good friends from it. And I have a friend here who's um, half Jewish and half Puerto Rican. And she was just mentioning to me the other day, like, Desiree, we need to, we should go to synagogue. She goes to Catholic mass all the time. Um, but she's like, I want to get back into to going to synagogue. So we, we joke and say like that we're covered no matter what. So here's, here's, my, here's my question. I'm, I'm super curious. Yeah. Why Judaism? Why not another Christianity? Why not something yeah. else? Yeah, well, my mom went to a majority black high school, but there were a few Jewish students and she was friends with them. And from what I can remember, she just thought 
this religion seemed more that aligned with what she believed and what she felt was right for her. And because we are her kids, we really didn't have a say in what was going to happen religiously for us at that stage of our lives. So when my mom decided she was converting to Judaism, all the everything Christian wise stopped. So no more Christmas. We didn't go to church anymore. Um, And that I was okay with that. I was like, all right. So I had to do like the, because I was older than the bat mitzvah age, I had to go to like the conversion classes myself. So those were like typically a Wednesday class where you go and you learn about stuff and they have like a Wednesday school. I was also on our, on the JEA, which is Jewish Education Alliance. I was on the basketball team there. And funny enough, I was the center at five, one and a half, because all the other girls were really short. <laughs> Wait, is that a stereotype on Jewish girls that they're all really I short? Don't so. <laughs> I don't think so. I just thought it was funny because we had girls who were like um, almost in middle school age also that played on the team because it was like basically playing for like a YMCA, a city league team. So you can have a, a broader age range. But I was also myself and two of the other girls on the team, we played for our high school teams. So we, it was just a lot of fun. That has nothing to do with my religion, but it was just, it's just a fun story. Well, no, that's hilarious. I mean, I, I actually, yeah. I did the whole Christian camp thing, su- Sunday school, yeah. whatever they call it. And yeah. I remember us going to Cape Hatteras, North Carolina for a, one of those like week trips where like the whole, mm-hmm. all the youth group the kids go right and for some reason <laughs> i got put into a house with all girls and they called this the lesbian house and this is when we were like <gasps> I love 11 that. 12 i oh was young and we were like we were like yay we're the lesbian house i had no idea what that meant no idea and like we're on a freaking church trip it was hilarious how many girls from that trip that were in the lesbian house are actually lesbians? i have no idea because it was in maryland i don't talk oh. to these ladies anymore but it was all it was all of please, the, it was all the please find them, Sharon. Please find them. Go on LinkedIn, Instagram, know, find them right. and just do a poll. Totally. I would love to. I'm sure, I'm sure there was a majority, especially if we got that label from the church trip, for sure. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about queerness in our families and how they view it right after the break. <laughs> Lesbian. We were the, oh my God, it was crazy. It was so weird. And I remember like, what? I was always with the Misfit Girls. House of Lesbian. <laughs> right. I remember it so distinctly. Like, it's so crazy. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, Christian school, great. like, Catholic school was weird. Christians are weird. <laughs> yeah, I um, I just never liked going to church, Sharon. I hate it. I just felt like this is torture. Oh, yeah. But when I was going to synagogue, I was like, this is not I got bad. I got it done like high school. <laughs> oh, my God. You should hear the stories when I went to Catholic school. These nuns, these nuns were crazy. Cray cray. <laughs> I've dated some Catholic school girls. Of course yeah. you have. <laughs> yeah. That's where he's dated, like, uh, like you. I've got a range. You do. You have, a, rain, a, you have a rainbow of ladies. That is for sure. I do, but you know. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Andrew. Yes. I actually, my, I was at dinner last night with a couple of friends and we were just laughing at, like, I have my history 
in dating has been so many straight or bi-curious women. I'm like the, I like welcome you into the community. <laughs> that is my job. I welcome you, get you, get you lined up, get your packet information, get your health insurance squared away, make sure you know what you're supposed to do. And then I send you out into the community. <laughs> Dude, you should have gotten paid for that. You should have totally gotten paid for that. Oh, I know. So, Sharon, how did your parents and family feel about you being queer? So, oh man, this is like a really multi-layered question. Um, so you've got the immigrant thing, um, mm-hmm. you've got the only child thing, right? And then you had the religion thing. So my parents sent me to six years of Catholic school. They they went to like novena masses like every Friday. They they always tell me like it took them eight years to have a kid. They prayed to God every day to have a kid. Like uh, just like one of those things. So, um. <laughs> To, to view queerness, I don't think they understood it. I don't think they understood. They didn't know what gay was. My, my mom would always say the gay. Like she would always like put a, you know, a preposition in front of it instead of just being gay. And I'm like, mom, it's not, it's not the gay, right? Yeah. But, um, and we'll talk about like the coming out stories. But I think that um, I think there was a there was frustration and there was because they didn't understand it. And I think there was also a, mm-hmm. um, a sense of disappointment because mm-hmm. um, I wasn't going to marry a man. And, and, and they what growing up for me was about you will marry a white man because they have power. Mm. And that is what my wow. mother wanted me to do. And so it's like from the age of 15, you will marry a white man. Wow. Um and I was like, I got close. I married a white woman. Like, does that, yeah. you know, but not really. So, um, <laughs> but that's, so I think that they struggled with it. I think more from an immigrant perspective than even mm-hmm. from a religious perspective, because we were so far removed from my family being in Singapore, being religious. It was all about saving yeah. face. It's the whole Asian mm-hmm. thing about saving face. They can't brag to their friends about me having a marriage to, you know, like a a rich white man. Right. Right. They can't do that. And, and for, for Asian immigrants, it's all about bragging rights. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad bought a Rolex. Did he really need a Rolex? No, but he wanted to take pictures with his Rolex in front of his Mercedes Benz. That's what my dad wanted to do because he, but (laughs) it's exactly right. He totally did the pose. If I can find those pictures, you will totally be like immigrant, immigrant pose for sure. In front of his big house, right. That was, gaudy and overdone Mercedes Benz and his Rolex. It was crazy. And so I I think that like being like being queer, one completely didn't understand it, but two, they, they realized very quickly that it wasn't something that they could really talk to anybody about. And I think that that kind of, you know, we'll unpack a lot of that, especially in the coming out stories, but like they're, mm-hmm. th- my parents have got come a long way and, and they've really mm-hmm. embraced me being queer over the last like mm-hmm. 20 years. And I've, I really appreciate that. Right. Like they came to my wedding, yeah. which is great. And they've, I think that being away from my family in Singapore that was very conservative actually was better mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. And the progressiveness of my parents being the only people from their family coming to the America, to, to the Americas, 
because they were already rebels, this was not as impactful to them for me being queer. It was more of just them getting used to the fact that they like their daughter was different, is different, you know? Um, So I'm very grateful for that. My mom was actually very progressive about it. My dad took a little bit longer, but man, they've been such loving people since I came out. Mm -hmm. I'm, I can't really say, you know, too much more about that. So Oh, that's, that's, I'm glad that, I'm glad they, they came around for you. When, for me, I had older gay cousins. Uh, My mom had like two uh, first cousins who were gay. So it wasn't like a new idea in my family. Um, However, my mother had a really hard time with it. Um, Which I was super surprised about Sharon, because I'm like, you grew up with, two cousins who, you know, were some of your favorite people, but you're shocked and disappointed that I'm gay. And unlike you, Sharon, I have other siblings that they could have this dream of the wedding and the kids and stuff with because I'm not an only child. So it's not like I was their only hope. Um, But it was just really interesting that she was so upset about that. My dad was kind of like, well, I kind of suspected. And my siblings were so young at the time. I had only, uh, which I'll tell more of the story uh, on another episode, but I had only told my sister under me at first. Um, But the other ones were too young. They didn't really know what was going on, but other family were, they were pretty cool with it. It wasn't for my mom, though. Um, she would be a little cordial to some folks I dated. Other people, you could be in the same room and she would just not even talk to you. Um, but it wasn't until 2014, you know, which was just almost 10 years ago now. She and I took a cross-country road trip for a month. We were gone for a month. Um, we drove from Savannah to Seattle down to San Diego and then back across with some stops along the way because my sister who's right under me was having a baby and really wanted us to be in San Diego when she had the baby. So my mom and I were like, well, let's make a road trip out of it. And when you're on a road trip, you're stuck in this car. You got to talk. So this was a great trapping for me to talk to her about stuff. And we just like really... You know, she couldn't get away from the conversations of, you know, these tough conversations about how things made me feel because um, and I'll share my coming out story a bit like she went through a phase of reading all of these like books about like conversion and stuff like, and I was like, it was so heartbreaking for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, mommy, you're, and she like read them and would highlight stuff. And that just like broke my heart. One, I'm like, why are you giving these people your money? Mm -hmm. Two, I'm like, in 2014, especially, there were so many stories of all these young people like killing themselves because of, you know, their families not supporting them. And, you know, I had to kind of break it down to her in that level. Like if somebody says something to me that made me feel less than that, then made me feel like this was something I had to do because there, I saw no other way out. Mm-hmm. Like, how would you feel? And she was like, Oh no, I would not want that to happen. So I'm like, okay. So anyway, at the end of that road trip, um, I remember I was about to drive back to Atlanta and she hugged me and she's like, I really just want you to be happy. And I don't care if it's with a man or a woman, 
but please just make sure she's attractive. (laughs) (laughs) I love your mom. That is amazing. I know. And then we laughed and cried. (laughs) Just make sure she's attractive. Oh my God. Make sure she's attractive. My parents never talked to me about that. I I think it's beautiful that that you had that. I don't, they've never really acknowledged the fact that they were like, you know, we want you to be happy. They just kind of like have gone along with it. But I think if my parents ever did that for me, they'd be like, just make sure she has a good job. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, just make sure she's got a job. (laughs) That's all they, that's all they would worry about right now. I know. That's hilarious. It's too funny. That's hilarious. Thank you guys for joining us uh, for the other what podcast. I hope this was interesting and enlightening just hearing our, our backstories and we've got many, many more stories to come. So I would love to even hear some stories from some listeners. Like if you all have any stories, go to our website, theotherwhat.com. Tell us some stuff. Um, Everybody's story is important and unique. You can send us messages on Instagram. Um, Reach out to us. We love it. And thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Love ya. For more The Other What, check out our other episodes. You can find those at theotherwhat.com. Have comments, thoughts, or reactions to something we said? Be sure to subscribe and comment. The Other What is a production of 559 Labs. The Other What is hosted by Sharon Goh and Desiree Jamerson. This episode was produced and edited by Andrew Marconi. Music by Alexei Anisimov. It was recorded in Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in next time.